before we move into the message, and we're actually talking about neighboring today, so that'll be a little bit of a segue, I want you to practice neighboring with the person next to you by asking them how their week went. And I want the honest answer. So no, it was fine. Like, give the honest answer. Was it good? Was it hard? Take a minute. Share with your neighbor. All right. Now I'm going to cheat. Instead of having you self-report your answers, I'm going to have your, your neighbor answer for you. Okay? So neighbors, how many, of the person, how many of the people you talked to said they had a pretty good week this week? All right, that's pretty good. How about how many did not have a good week? Not so hot. Oh, good. I appreciate the honesty. Anybody have a so-so, a little bit of both, up and down? All right, all right. Well, I thought I'd start by telling you a little bit about my week. Um, it was good, but it was very chaotic. I'm a mom of four. Um, that's all I should really need to say. Um, so it was busy at home, it was busy at work, I got to do VBS in the morning, and um, we had a couple of our executive team members gone this week, so kind of picked up some tasks in the afternoon. It was hopping from groceries to family time to kids' events, it was a chaotic week. And in the midst of that, I was preparing a sermon. And sermons take all of this intellectual and emotional and spiritual time, and so I was working on that, and I kind of had this side thought, maybe I should pray. And so I kind of threw out this prayer, and my prayer was, um, hey, God, you know, I'm talking about neighboring. If you want, maybe I could have a spiritual conversation with someone. And then I went on my way. So in the midst of all of this um, chaos, I got up one morning and went to Starbucks. And if you've ever been to this one over on Wadsworth, it's kinda, there's kind of study row. Like, people are studying for stuff all the time in kind of this back row. And so I was, I was in that row of all the studiers, and there's kind of this mutual agreement that you'll watch someone's stuff if they get up of the study group. Um, so I had headphones in, nose in a book. I was doing my thing. I didn't want to talk to anybody. Um, and then things started to change a little bit. The gentleman next to me had been there for a couple hours. At the same time, he left to go get a drink and asked if I'd watch his stuff. And when he came back, he... I knew he was talking to me because his lips were moving, and so I thought I should <laughs> take my headphone out. Um, and so he was telling me, thank you. And I was getting ready to say, you're welcome, and go on my merry way. And his thank you was followed by, are you a studier of the Bible? And I was like, huh. I did happen to be reading a book called Reading the Bible for All It's Worth. And so I thought, okay, I can get out of this pretty quickly. I'll answer him with yes while I put my earphone back in and go back to my reading. So I tried it. I said yes, and then immediately he said, does that mean you're a Christian? So then I was feeling a little bit conflicted because I thought, well, I really don't have time to talk to him. <laughs> but he is asking me a question about Christianity. So I stopped long enough to say, yes, I'm a Christian. Again, was trying to figure out how to get out of it. And then the killer question came. He said, would you be willing to tell me why you decided to follow him? And then I didn't really have an option. So I took everything out and put it down. Now, we all hear stories of that, right? Like somebody's on an airplane and somebody says, hi, will you tell me about your faith? And they tell them about Jesus and then they come to faith. And we hear those stories and we're like, yeah, 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 that doesn't really happen. These stories don't happen to me. This was the most random situation. But it was pretty amazing. It ended up being a 30-minute conversation where this gentleman asked a lot of questions about my faith. I got to hear about his. Never seen him before. We'll probably never see him again, but for whatever reason, that's what happened that day. 
I tell you that story because we're starting a a, um, series called Neighboring. It's a two-week series. And if you've been around Waterstone for a while, you'll know that our mission is to advance God's kingdom for his glory. And our vision is to be a growing movement of transformed people, reshaping the culture to reflect God's heart. And out of that mission and vision come three rhythms or practices, transform, neighbor, and restore. And today I want to talk about this neighbor rhythm. It's really about God's kingdom coming in others. It's our opportunity to take what we know and believe and love about our relationship with God and share it with other people. And so I'm going to spend some time this morning kind of talking about why we share our faith. And then next week, Nick's going to come back and he's going to give some more specifics on how. Before I get into that why, I want to tell you the second part of the story at Starbucks, the story that happened after the guy left. So he leaves, and all of a sudden, all of these questions start churning inside of me. Honestly, one of the questions was, where am I going to study from now on so no one will ask me faith questions while I'm trying to prepare my sermon? (laughs) But after that one left, the next question was, why do I feel that way? Why do I believe in sharing my faith And I even asked for an opportunity to share. And then when the opportunity is right in front of me, all of a sudden I want to run the other direction and I don't want to say a word. And I was thinking about that. It really haunted me for a couple weeks. So I started to do some research and found out that I'm not alone. According to a statistic from LifeWay study, a 2012 research that they did, 80% of Christians in the United States that attend a church at least once in a month, believe that it's our responsibility to share our faith with others. Here's the part that bugs me. 61% of the same people asked have not shared our faith one time in the last six months. So why the disconnect? I want to take some time this morning to explore a couple of things to help us maybe understand where that disconnect comes from. I thought it may be interesting to start out with some thoughts around why don't we share our faith? What gets in the way of us sharing our faith? And I want to suggest that there's kind of three main reasons. The first of those is fear. I think oftentimes we don't say anything because we're afraid. One of the things we're afraid of is I think we're afraid that we're ill-equipped that we don't have the right information, that we haven't been to seminary, we don't work in a ministry, we're not on a church staff, we haven't read our Bible from the beginning to end every year or ever, we haven't graduated with whatever degree in school or high school that we think in our minds we should have to be able to share our faith with other people. I think we're afraid because we don't feel like we'll know what to do when we get in the middle of the situation. Another reason I think we're afraid is I think we're afraid of offending somebody. I think that we want to, we've been around people who have shared their faith in a way that's obnoxious and offensive, and we don't want to be that person. And so instead of thinking about ways that we can do it well or thinking about ways that we can do it that's comfortable and natural in the context of relationship, we just, we just bail out altogether. We're too afraid to have the conversation. Sometimes I think we're afraid because we don't think we're good enough Christians. We think that there's stuff in our lives that's going on and we feel disconnected. We may feel distant from God. We may feel ashamed of some of the choices that we're making. And so we just, we bail We don't share our faith at all because we don't feel like we're in a right place or a right enough place with God. 
Other times, I think we're afraid that we'll be made fun of. We're afraid that we'll share and someone will overhear and they'll say, look at that crazy Christian person. We may have the type of personality that likes to be liked and we're afraid if we talk about it that if someone makes fun of us, it may mean that they don't really like us, so we don't say anything. Sometimes I think we don't share, and I think this may be a really big reason in our culture right now. Sometimes I don't think we share and we're afraid to because we live in a pluralistic society and we're so conscientious of other people's rights that we don't want to infringe on those, and so we don't say anything. We're afraid of coming across as offensive. We're afraid that we're going to break some human right of someone else's. As I was thinking about this, I, I think for me there were a couple fears that were going on when I was talking to this gentleman. One was, what if I don't know how to answer his question? Because he, <laughs> he was asking some hard questions. Um, the other thing I was afraid of, I was afraid of offending him. Because as he began to unwrap his story, he grew up Jewish, he married a woman who's Quaker, and I'm pretty sure he's had a disservice done to him by the Christian church. And I think this because one of the questions he asked was, if Jesus is who he says he is, and he loves people as much as you say he does, then why isn't that how people always feel when they walk in the front doors of a church? I was a little bit of an ouch. So I was afraid. I was afraid that if I answered incorrectly, he may walk away feeling even worse about Christianity. But then I started thinking about it. What is it that's behind that fear? I mean, sure, we all have those fears. Those make sense. But is there something that's underneath it? And I started to realize that I think that underneath our fear is uh, that we're worried that we're inadequate. We're, we're, there's an insecurity there. We're worried that we're not good enough. We're not, that Jesus didn't really mean what he said when he said, hey, I want you to share your faith with other people. In fact, I empower you to do it. We don't think he would really use someone like us. In fact, sometimes I think our fears are based off of the insecurity when God is looking right at us and saying, hey, you're up to bat and here's, here's your picture and I want you to engage in this conversation. And we're kind of looking around like, is he talking to me? because we're struggling with our own stuff inside. So I think fear is one reason that we don't share our faith. Second reason I think we don't share our faith is apathy. I think that we at times get so comfortable in our lives and the way that we do things and the things that we're involved in that we just, we just kind of check out. I think one of the ways that we can see that is in a kind of that spirit of complacency. My life's busy. I'm good, I gotta watch out for my kids, I gotta go do my church activities, I gotta do this, that, and the other. So, so we forget. We forget to look around. We forget to see what else is going on outside of ourselves. Sometimes I think that we get apathetic because we have a lack of compassion for others. And what's interesting about this is we don't think we have a lack of compassion for others. But I think sometimes we do. I think it's easy to be compassionate towards people who look like us or think like us or believe like us or run in our circles. And I think it's really hard at times to be compassionate to people that look different from us and believe something completely differently. And so what we end up doing is we end up judging those people. Or we end up going back to our Christian circles and talking about condemnation for them and the way that they think. In fact, people become the they 
we lose that compassion for others. We become apathetic, and we forget to be on guard against that. Sometimes I think it's because we have lost our passion for Christ. Sometimes it's been a while since we've been reminded of how incredible that transformation was that happened in us when we first accepted Jesus. We've lost, we lose that. And when we lose that, we become apathetic. We don't talk about the excitement. It's like when you get your new car, the first day you get your new car, you're telling everybody and you're showing everybody and you're washing it and then you've had your car for a year and it's not quite as cool and then it's been two years and you don't even talk about your car anymore. Sometimes I think that's what we do with our relationship with Jesus and then we don't share our faith. Sometimes I think we're apathetic because we get lazy spiritually. And I think we get lazy because we have this uh, misunderstanding that God didn't really mean what he said when he said, I need you. And so we try to ride on the coattails of Jesus, assuming that he's going to take care of doing all of the telling people about Christ and that we can just kind of hang in the back. Now, the difficulty in that is there's a truth to that, right? We, the only person that can, that can um, bring somebody to Christ is Christ. But there is some sort of mystery that he's called us into where, when we'll talk about this here in a little bit, he commissions and commands us to be part of that. We don't get to ride on the coattails of Jesus. When we're doing that, I think we've gotten this spiritual laziness about us. I ran across this quote by Oswald Chambers today that kind of tugs on that idea a little bit. He says this, Beware, beware of worshiping Jesus as the Son of God and professing your faith in him as the Savior of the world while you blasphemy him by the complete evidence in your daily life that he is powerless to do anything in and through you. I think that's how we live sometimes. I think we live as if God can't really use us for anything. Never mind the fact that he's the God of the universe that drew us to him in the first place. He's not big enough to get past that. So, two reasons we've talked about. I think fear and apathy are two that we don't share our faith. The third reason is isolation. And Nick talked about this a little bit last week. Um, just the idea that if we don't hang out with people who don't know Jesus, we're really not going to have an opportunity to share our faith. And this is common. So this isn't a feel-bad moment. It, this happens, right? Like we all hang out with people that we like and that we know and that we share common interests with, but we've got to, we have to work extra hard then to make sure that we're engaged with people who don't know Jesus. It's kind of like when you break your leg and you get a cast on. What happens to your leg, your muscle, after it's been in that cast for a long time, when you've isolated it? It atrophies. Your muscle shrinks down. So then you take your cast off, and all of a sudden, your, your muscle isn't what it was before. That's what happens to us. We run into spiritual atrophy when we don't spend time with people who don't know Jesus. We have to push ourselves out of that. Just like when you get out of a cast, you've got to go to physical therapy. You have to work that muscle. You have to be intentional. We have to do that, or we're just going to be stuck in this situation of isolation and spiritual emptiness. So how do we do that? Nick actually talked about it a little bit last week. He talked about what's it look like to make sure we're engaging with our culture. And if you weren't here, I would encourage you to listen to that message because it was really good. And he had some really good points in there. But I do want to highlight a couple things he said. He said, if we want to have spiritual conversations with our friends, family, and neighbors, we need to do a couple things. We can't judge. We can't disassociate. We can't isolate. 
But what we do need to do is to love and serve, develop a prophetic voice of persuasion, and act for justice. So we need to not, we've got to figure out a way to engage with our culture. So three things we talked about, about not reasons we don't share our faith, fear, apathy, and isolation. I want to shift now and talk about why we do. What does the Bible say about our call as followers of Jesus to share our faith? I think the first of those that I want to take a look at, the first motivation to share our faith is that Jesus is king. Colossians 1 says this, The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Here's what I want us to catch about Jesus. He created the whole world. He created the whole world. He's the beginning and he's the end. He created all of the people here and all of the creation. He's, he was here before time even began. He was there in the garden when Adam and Eve made a decision to sin and death entered into the world and our separation happened from God and he was there weeping alongside of us. He loved us so much that he recognized the separation and knew that we weren't going to be able to make that connection back to God on our own. So Jesus came to earth as fully man and fully God, dwelled among us, established his kingdom here, died for our sins, rose three days later to conquer death and has told us that his kingdom is here and now but will come in its fullness again when he returns. We have access to this guy. He is the king and he's invited us to live into his kingdom. And that's why we want to share our faith because if we are followers of Jesus, we've met the king and we know that he's good and that he's loving even at times that he's dangerous. I think to Aslan in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, and that quote, when one of the kids, I think it was Lucy, asked, is he good? And the, it was something along the lines of, um, he's dangerous, but he's good, and he's loving. You know, here it took a little girl like Lucy to realize this lion of Aslan who represents the Jesus figure, who oversees the entire kingdom, he oversees it even when it seems like things are going awry in one place or another. It takes a little girl to recognize that he is loving and compassionate and caring beside, despite the fact that he's dangerous. And she loves him so much that she wants to tell everybody about him. Jesus is the king. And if we know that and we're part of his kingdom, then it should, it's a natural outpouring of our belief in that to share our faith with other people. Another reason that I think we share our faith with other people is because Jesus commands and commissions us to. I want to look at Matthew 28. It says this, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. 
and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. I want to point out at the beginning of this, it ties back to Jesus as king. It says right there, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. He, he's the king of this kingdom. This passage is often one, it's called the Great Commission, and it's one that we use when, um, when we're commissioning missionaries to go out or if we're commissioning a church to go out as a church plant. And what a commission is, is it's, um, it's giving authority and power and blessing to someone else saying, I trust you, I know that you're going to go do the work that I've sent you off to do. So when we commission people to do that, we're saying, God has your back, we have your back, we believe in what you're doing. But that's what God calls us to do. He commissions us. He says, as soon as we become followers of Jesus and we're living in his kingdom, that he's given us that same power and that same authority, and he's commissioning us to go and share our faith with other people. I wonder why we don't do it. Here's the second part of that. Not only does he commission us, but it says right in here, he commands us. Now, I don't know about you. When I hear the word command, if somebody says, I command you to do this, I'm like, oh, no, you did not just say, tell me to go do some. Like, I get this rebellious thing inside of me. But in what he's talking about, when he talks about commanding us, he's commanding us because he knows what's best for the kingdom and he knows what's best for us. He's not commanding us because he's trying to manipulate us or he's trying to take us over. I mean, those are things that we've experienced with earthly kings, but Jesus commands us because it's what's good for the kingdom. And at the end of the day, it really doesn't have anything to do with us. It has everything to do with him. So Jesus commands and commissions us. I want to show you a quote from Dallas Willard that talks a little bit about this idea of Jesus being Lord and that commandment to go and follow. It says this, it is quite literally nonsense to call Jesus Lord and not do what he said. Lord means nothing in such a case. But because I do accept him as Lord, his instructions on behavior are my treasures for living life. Of course, I cannot do what he said just by trying. I must train. I must, through appropriate courses of action, become inwardly transformed by grace to become the kind of person in my inmost thoughts, feelings, attitudes, and directions of will who will, excuse me, who will <laughs> routinely do the kinds of things he said to do. Dallas Willard understands that if we're going to call Jesus Lord, we need to act as if Jesus is Lord. We don't get to call him Lord and then go do whatever we want to do. He's the king. It's his kingdom. He asks us to join with him in advancing that kingdom by sharing our faith. We need to step into that fully. So two reasons that we're sharing our faith. Jesus is king. He commands and he commissions us to. Third reason is that people matter deeply to God. And we see this in Luke 15. Three stories, the story of the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the prodigal son. All of these stories are about something valuable that's been lost, and the searcher is looking and looking and looking to try to find it. And all of us can relate to losing something, right? Think of some sort of physical object that you really care about that you lost. Something of value, like wedding ring, wallet full of money. Anybody ever lost any of that? And you're looking for it because you, you know that it costs a lot of money. Think about how much harder and faster you look for something when it's a kid. I know everyone in this room has lost a kid at some point. And it's more horrifying if you lost someone else's kid, right? <laughs> at least for me, I'm like, oh my gosh. 
Uh, so I was thinking back to one of the stories of losing one of my kids. <laughs> There's many for all of them. But when Brennan, my 16-year-old, was two, we were at Waterworld. And one second he was here, and the next second he wasn't. And if you've been to Waterworld, there are pools everywhere. There's water all over the place. It is not. Unless you're holding your toddler's hand, it can be a little bit horrifying. So here my toddler is lost next to a pool, and there's hundreds of people in the way. I can't even see to go look for him. So do you think I just casually was like, well, maybe I'll find him later? I, like, I, mom, panic button hit. I went on an all-out search for my kid, and not only did I go on an all-out search, but I recruited every person around me. I didn't care if I knew them or not. I was like, I have lost my two-year-old. This is what he looks like. Please help me. This is a water park. And everybody did. We had people all over the place trying to find him. And after what felt like a very, very long two minutes, my sister-in-law finally found him with his feet in the wave pool, getting ready to go in, pulled him out and brought him to me. And you can bet that I embraced him and held on to him for a really long time. Because people matter. My kid matters to me, and we matter to God. He searches for us with that same intensity and that same urgency that we look for a lost child. And you know what else he does? We're the ones at the water park that he's like, hey, hey, I need help. We got to hurry up. There's somebody that's lost. This is an emergency. I'm really worried about them. I need you to help me. But for some reason, we forget. We forget that we once were lost and what it meant for us to be found, and we forget the urgency of helping Jesus find those that don't know him. So there's still this disconnect. We know that we need to share our faith. If, if we reflect the study that we looked at earlier, 80% of this room would agree that part of following Christ is sharing our faith with other people. And 61% of this room would also probably report that we haven't in the, shared our faith in the last six months. So it still begs the question of what are we going to do about the disconnect? And I want to suggest that to bridge the gap, we've got to do a couple of things. We've got to start somewhere. So I did a bunch of reading on change and how do you help how do you help change yourself and get yourself past kind of temporary change into long-term change? And kind of four things emerged. The first is awareness. Anytime we move from a place of being not aware to being aware, change has already started to happen. We have a group of our staff that did this whole 30 challenge. It's basically paleo eating for 30 days, not to lose weight, but more to help you realize what your eating habits look like. And once you start doing it, all of a sudden you start to realize how many foods have sugar in it. Everything has sugar in it, by the way. Um, and you're, you, they don't let you eat it for 30 days. How much food has sugar in it and what and when you eat. I eat when I'm stressed or when I um, am happy or when I am sad. Or, I mean, I, you know, I would eat sugar stuff all the time because it, it, I was fueling myself. When all of a sudden I did this Whole30 challenge, my realization changed. And as soon as that changed, then I began to change my eating habits. Not because somebody told me to, not because, you know, I was doing some fad eating thing, but real change happened because I was able to see the disconnect between how I was acting and what I wanted to do and how I felt when I was doing it the way I really wanted. It's the same with us with sharing our faith. We've got to become aware of why we do the things we do. It's called thinking about what we think. 
So next time you're at Starbucks and you have that nudge inside of you to have a a spiritual conversation with somebody and you decide not to, it's not a beat yourself up moment. It's a learning opportunity. What was going on inside of you in that moment that you decided not to share? Were you afraid? Were you apathetic? Were you feeling so isolated that your spiritual muscle had atrophied and you felt out of practice? We've got to figure out what's going on inside of us that sharing the gospel has become something hard. So that's step one. Step two is we've got to reinitiate that desire. We've got to go back and remember what it was like for us to be the kid that was lost in the water park, knowing that our heavenly father who loves us incredibly found us. We need to share those stories with each other. In our small groups, we do it in our worship service once a month. We do that because it builds this desire. It it re-energizes. It reminds us of why we're here. We're not here just to walk into church every week and walk out and go do our thing. We're here because we follow the king and we live in his kingdom and and he asks us to engage in that. So we've got to reinstill that desire. We've got to remember that Jesus is king. We have to remember that he commands and commissions us. We have to remember that lost people matter to God. And we have to remind each other of that. Third thing is support. And that's where Waterstone comes in. We want to give you an opportunity to engage in neighboring, and we want to do it all together. Because we know that anytime you do a diet, or you start a new exercise routine, or you decide to stop smoking, that when you do it with a friend, you're more likely to succeed. So we're going to be the friends that do it together. So what we want to do is, when you came in today, in your bulletin, you've got a card, and if you would take that out, because we really, really, really want you to take this home. This is your tool. This is us giving you support. The first part of support. We'll give you some more next week. Hold on to this. I'm going to have you do something with it later, but make sure you've got it out. What we've decided to do over the next year is we're going to do a neighbor strategy called One Reach One. We want you to pick one person in your circle of influence that does not know Jesus, and we want you to begin to do three things with them. We want you to pray for them because... Becoming to Christ is, is a work of the Holy Spirit, and we've got to be on our knees asking for his help. We want you to engage with them. We want you to invite them over for a barbecue, help them fix their fence, let them help you fix your fence, invite them to the 4th of July barbecue. Engage with them. Have conversations about deep things. If you take the time, and these take time, right? Remember, the Starbucks conversation was not the norm. Normally what happens is we have spiritual conversations in the context of relationship and that relationship or those relationships have developed over time. So put the time in. And when spiritual things come up, don't be afraid to ask and ask and listen and listen and listen and listen. We don't need to be there giving people answers. When they're ready, they'll ask the questions. We just need to show up. So engage. The third thing we're going to have you do, and these are all listed on your card so that you can remember, the third thing we're going to have, we want you to do is we want you to pray that the Holy Spirit will give you an opportunity to share Jesus' story with your one person. Again, that may not happen this year, but let's be on our knees as a congregation asking that we can be involved in his work in changing the world. Fourth thing that we want to do today And most importantly, I would argue, is that prayer piece. Faith conversions are an act of the Holy Spirit. We saw that when we read our Acts passage earlier. 
the Holy Spirit is with us because only God can change people. All we need to do is show up. We don't need to get antsy. We don't need to have our own agenda. We don't need to feel like we need to put a notch on our belt because we were able to have a spiritual conversation faster than the other person in our small group. If we're doing that, we're totally missing the boat. We've got to listen to the Holy Spirit. First, we've got to ask him, and then we've got to listen. And we do that through prayer. And so we want to take some time this morning to actually give you an opportunity to pray for your one person. So we're going to do an activity. Up here, we've got sticky notes and tape because some of the sticky notes are not sticking to our prayer wall very well. So don't worry if they fall down. We'll put them back up. Um, but we want you to write down the first, just the first name of your one person. And this is really your public commitment that you're going to engage in this One Reach One deal. So write your person's name down, put it on the prayer wall. If you don't know yet, that's okay. Don't, don't stress about that. Just put, a, just put an empty one up there or put a still praying, that's okay. If you're in this room today and you've never been introduced to the king, but you're interested and you want to know more about his love and his compassion and this kingdom that we're talking about, write your own name down. Because I guarantee you if you pray and you ask him to reveal himself to you, he will. And if you want to talk to somebody about that today, we'll be up front. You're welcome to come. We'd be happy to pray with you. So as CJ and the band plays some instrumental music, we just want to encourage you to please come up, write down the name of your person, and add it to our prayer wall.